Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Well, good morning. I hope everyone's doing well. It's good to be here in sunny California. This is what everybody on the East Coast dreams of coming to, this wonderful place of sunshine. But uh, listen, I know how much you guys, uh, one, you need cool weather, amen? And two, uh, you need rain. And uh, so we'll take, even if it comes in the form of a cloud, we'll take it, right? And, uh, but God's always good. God's goodness is not dependent upon the weather, amen? And so, but I'm so grateful to be here in, uh, at your church and uh, grateful for the opportunity and uh, sure do love your pastor and your church here. You got a, for those who are church members here, you have an incredible staff. I love working with them. And it's always fun to see them when I get here. I feel, like a, I feel like I'm part of your family. You may not want me in your family. That's like with a lot of families, but... Uh, you know, you always got family members you don't want, but uh, you may not want me, but I sure do enjoy your family. So uh, thanks for letting me be a part of it. Love your pastor and his wife and uh, their family. And uh, so grateful I have the opportunity to come and preach. I'm so grateful for my Aaron, Aaron Schust. Uh, did you enjoy his music today? Uh, you may not be able to see this from where you are, but when, when he plays, he has his Bible opened in front of him. All right. You may not realize that. You may see him pick it up, but he has it open the whole time. And um, Aaron's one of my best friends, and uh, so grateful for him. And I didn't know he was going to be out here. I didn't, you know, I didn't say, "Hey, get I'll come only if you get Aaron" or something like that. I don't do that. I'll, I'll work with anybody. But uh, Pastor Bob, that's how much he knows me. He knew that how much I loved Aaron, so he went and got see if Aaron would come out here to be with me. So. Uh, so it's great to see him. I haven't seen him in a long time. We did a, the last time we worked together was for a Good Friday service. Now, even before COVID had come on the radars of anybody, last year we had already planned on doing online crusades in 2020. And so we had already planned that. We we're going to still do them in person, but we we're going to do them online, just strictly when you walk, talk into the camera. For those who are watching, thank you for coming and watching. And, uh, but I would just look straight at the camera, no audience. And so we had already planned this one for Good Friday. We'd been advertising it even before COVID. And so when COVID came, we were kind of already set for it. And uh, we did one uh, that day was uh, over 300,000 people watched. And for a couple reasons, one is there was a spiritual revival starting. Uh, people, because of COVID, they started thinking about life after death all of a sudden. They were scared and they started looking to God and to God's word. Church attendance, even though churches were closed, was going through the roof online. And there was a real hunger and revival starting in our country. And guess who doesn't like that? Satan. Satan doesn't like it. So he tried to steal the, uh, the narrative back with the death of uh, George Floyd and with all the stuff that came after that. And uh, remember, Satan's a destroyer. He wants to see things destroyed. And so it was, um, and you see... Satan trying to steal the narrative back through racism and stuff like that. But I'm here to tell you there's also an undercurrent of spiritual revival taking place. And uh, we're grateful for that. And so um, 
he and I got to do something that day. It was one of the biggest things that we've ever done outside my grandfather's funeral. It was huge. Uh, and then later my dad's um, prayer march in Washington went it's unbelievable. We had about 100,000 people roughly. You can't count them, but we estimate about 100,000 people. And that was even uh, Khan's group called The Return. That they, He had another 100,000 or so. And so it was huge. And it was fun because... There was nothing went wrong that day. Like the Capitol Police, like we're not needed today. Everybody's helping everybody, you know. It was like the most uneventful day for the law enforcement. And so um, God's still good, my friends, in the midst of all this. So, but uh, today I want to talk to you. You, you ever been out to, you ever been out to dinner with somebody and they've eaten a salad and they start talking, you realize they got a big old piece of lettuce stuck in their teeth? And uh, you don't know what you're supposed to do. Do you, do you say something? With a family member, we want to, you know, point them out in front of everybody. You know, like if it's your brother or your sister. And my sister's going to be here at the next service. Um, she lives on the East Coast. That's too far to travel for us on the East Coast. So we come to California to see each other. <laughs> Even though she lives in Florida and I live in North Carolina, we come out to California to hang out. And uh, it's sunny weather, of course, you know. And... Um, but, you know, like if it's my sister or my brother, they would, uh, well, and they take pictures of it and post it on the Internet, right? But, you know, when you're talking to like a, uh, let's say a, a friend, but not that close of a friend that you would pick on them that hard. I mean, what do you do? Do you tell them that they got a big piece of cabbage stuck in their teeth, you know, like pick it out or this is gross? Or you, you just keep shielding your face and knowing that's going to come across and hit you in the face, you know? Uh, what do you do, right? Well, you know, a good friend will... Hey, buddy, you need to clean your teeth real quick. You got a piece of lettuce hanging there, and it doesn't look good. Please get it out. And uh, today I want to be that good friend. There's something that maybe we don't want to talk about, but we got to talk about. And so I want to talk to you on the subject of bitterness, anger. And I tell you, my friends, the church is eaten up with anger and bitterness. There's a lot, Listen, you have a, lot, you have a wonderful church here. I don't know everybody here in your church. Um, Obviously, I don't know everybody in the world either, but I can tell you right now, there's a lot of anger going on, even within the church. Even within Christian homes, there is a sense of bitterness and anger. And bitterness is defined as anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. At least you have the perception that you've been treated unfairly, you deserve something better, and you're angry or you're mad. And that's what we call bitterness. And uh, we're going to look at a passage here in Scripture. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. And I want to put this little into context because a uh, text out of context is only pretext, all right? And so we want to look at this, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses. But let me give you a little setting of where it is. Um, Absalom was the second oldest son of David. And uh, Absalom had a sister. Her name was Tamar, a very pretty lady. Absalom was considered the best-looking man in all of Israel. Um, everybody talked about how good-looking he was. He had lots of flowing hair. I mean, GQ magazine, he was on every issue of it, all right? He, was, uh, he and his sister were considered some of the prettiest people in Israel. And there was an older brother, though. Absalom had a half-brother that was older. His name was Amnon. Amnon's mother... And Absalom's mother were different women. Same father, David. And Amnon uh, fell in love with his half-sister and raped her. And that was Absalom's sister. 
And so Absalom was mad, and, and then on top of that, he was mad at his brother for doing it, but then he was mad at his father for not doing anything about it. And so uh, he started to get very resentful to the point that for two years he plotted to kill his brother. And after two years, he killed his brother Amnon in front of all his other brothers. But he knew what he did was wrong, so he hightailed it out of there. And he went to go live in a far-off country with his maternal grandfather, the king of Geshur. And so he went there and stayed there for three years. And then he, uh, then he came back, and uh, finally his dad said, you can come home. And he came home three years later, and he wouldn't see his dad's face for two years. For two years, he wouldn't see his father. And finally, his father welcomed him back into the family, kissed him, embraced him after two years of saying, he can come back to Israel, but he cannot see me. He cannot be in my presence. And I don't think David knew what to do with him. He loved his son, but he was also the lawgiver, and he didn't want to be like he's passing on sin on his son. He didn't know what to do. I think that's true for any parent, that when your kid messes up, what do you do? You love your kid, but you want them to own up to their mistakes and have to pay for their mistakes at times, and you don't know what to do. And David, being a parent, was that same situation. And so uh, he stayed there, and this is where we pick it up in chapter 15, okay? It says, after this, after this means after David welcomed him home, embraced him. He's already been home for two years, hadn't seen the king's face, but now he's kind of like legitimized. He's like in good graces with the family in a sense. After this, after coming back into David's house, made whole, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. Now Jerusalem at that time, how many of you been to Jerusalem? You've ever been on a trip in the Middle East and something like that? All right, good. There's some of you here. Uh, and you go there and there's lots of gates. The city of David, when David was living, it had one gate. It was very small, 15 acres. I don't know, I don't know my acreage real well, but probably just the backside of this church right here, inside this little fenced area in your parking lot, that's more than 15 acres. In other words, the city of Jerusalem is not a real big city at that time. And it's a walled city. And so he would go to the one gate and he would sit there and he would wait for people to come through. And said, uh, now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was that when anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would, would call to him and say, hey, uh, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, if I were made judge in the land and everyone who has a suit or cause would come to me, I would give him justice. And so it was when everyone or whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. And this is before COVID, guys, all right? So don't get worried. This is before COVID. In other words, he would embrace him and give him a kiss. And in the manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. 
So Absalom, listen to this, stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came to pass after four years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while dwelt in Geshur in Syria, saying, if the Lord indeed will bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king, his father David, said to him, go in peace. So Absalom arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies. That word for spies is a better translator would be messengers. He sent messengers. You don't need to spy out your own land, just need to send out messengers. Then Absalom sent messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently. They did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilhol, where he was offering sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. And that's where we're going to stop. I want to talk to you about bitterness. This passage is the, I called it my message, the fruit of bitterness. We're going to see the fruit of all this anger, pent up anger, all this, um, all this resentment of Absalom and then later on Ahithophel and why they did these things. So the first thing I want to look at is that bitterness will make you self-centered. And to be honest, none of us realize when we're self-centered. So this is when you have to talk to your spouse or to a good friend and say, hey, am am I self-centered? And if they love you, they're going to tell you the truth. But most people don't want to even ask that question. They don't want to hear it. Because there might be a chance that they're self-centered. My friends, we're self-centered people. Even in the church, we're self-centered. See, Absalom, he wanted to focus on himself. His own hurts, his own desires, he focused on himself. Look at verse 1. As soon as he was welcomed back into the family, he provided himself with chariots and horses, and 50 men ran before him. In other words, he wanted to look important. He wanted to look like a king. He was wanting to look like a king. He was the, the oldest son he had murdered, Amnon, for raping his sister. He's dead. Number two guy, Absalom. He's now the number one guy. And he wants to start acting like a king. And so he would gather some men and chariots and horses to go along beside him. And it's interesting because this is what Samuel, back in 1 Samuel 8, When the people had no king, they came to Samuel, the great prophet, and said, Samuel, we want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. He says, you're crazy. You got God to be your king. You don't need a human king. They said, no, we want someone to go fight our battles and make judgments for us and, you know, preside over us, rule over us. And you do a great job. We love you, but your sons aren't that hot. They're preacher's kids. Yeah, I'm a preacher's kid, so that one kind of hit home. You know, but we trust you, but you're getting old, so give us a king. 
And, and Samuel said, if you're going to have a king, this is what he's going to do. He's going to accumulate horses. He's going to take your sons to be in his army. He's going to provide himself with chariots. And every time you hear the word chariots in the Bible, not every time, but almost every time you hear it of chariots, it's usually a bad connotation. It's not a good thing. The first times we really see chariots used in the Bible were the Egyptians chasing after Israel as they were going to the promised land. They were chasing them down. As they were leaving Egypt, they chased them down in chariots. And we know what happened to those chariots. They don't float. The second time was when they took over, they were going into the promised land and they were going to fight the Canaanites and dispel the Canaanites. And guess what? The Canaanites had chariots, but they did not win. The Egyptians did not win when they were chasing Israel. Now, the uh, Canaanites did not win using them. And then we see later on, just a few chapters before this, David is fighting the Armenians, the Syrians and the Armenians, and they have chariots. And they come to use them against David, and David slaughters them. In other words, the enemies of God have chariots. But here, for the first time, we see a man in Israel accumulate chariots for himself. He thinks of himself. He's trying to look royal. He's thinking about himself. I want to make everybody know that I'm going to be king one day. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to make himself look good. He's focused on himself. And that's what we see. When you're a bitter person, when you're an angry person, you focus on your own hurts and your own desires. And he wanted to look like a king. No, Saul and David never did this. Even Saul never did this. And bitterness made him self-centered by focusing on desire to be king. He wanted to be king. And he was focusing on his hurt. He wanted a small army to overthrow his father. He was still angry with his father. Absalom's name means father's peace, but he's not going to bring any peace to his father. He wanted to overthrow his father. He still hated his father. And that's what anger did. He never, got, he never dealt with his anger for 11 years. 11 years from when it, this all started with Tamar until now. It's been 11 years. For 11 years, he's been brewing. For 11 years, he's only focused on himself. 11 years, he's plotted his, his overthrow. That's what bitterness does. It makes you focused and consumed on yourself, your own feelings, your own desires, your own hurts. It makes you a self-centered person. Number two, bitterness will cause you to make poor decisions. You make poor decisions. And boy, I'm, I'm a product of that sometimes. Look at verse six. It said, in this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. In other words, he was being nice to them and treating them like equals and stuff like that. He was being super nice and telling them everything they wanted to hear. Hey, if I was judge, this is, I, would, I would rule in your favor. If, if I was judge and made king, this is what I would do. I would help you out. See, the king's number one responsibility was not merely to protect the people, but his, really, his primary job was to rule over the people, to make judgments. He was like the Supreme Court. Anytime you had a, a case, you, you went to, there's only one court, David's court, the king's court. And you would take all your decisions there. 
If someone wronged you, if there's been a murder, there's been a child, you take it to the king and the king would give you justice. But David, now late in his life, getting old, maybe he was uh, sick and couldn't hear all the cases that came forth. More and more cases were coming each and every day. He just couldn't handle it all. And so there was a backlog of court cases to be heard. And here we see that Absalom started, he, he thrusted himself into his dad's number one position to rule over the people. Even though he didn't have the authority to do it, he was pretending he was having a little kangaroo court and said, this is what I would do. And that's what he was doing. He was stealing the hearts of men. He wasn't earning the hearts of men. He was stealing them from his father by promising people all these things. Tell him this is how he would do if he was made judge. He flattered the men. He gave them hugs and kisses. And therefore, these, he thought these men loved him more than they loved his father. And what was the result? He stole the hearts of the men. And see, bitterness will cause you to make poor decisions. He's making a poor decision. He's going to raise up and go against his father, the king. He's supposed to be loyal to the king. He should be loyal to his father. And he is neither because of his bitterness. Bitterness. He assumed everyone liked him because he was a fair judge. No, he was just, everybody liked him because they're going to rule in their favor. Ecclesiastes 4.26 says, For anger resides in the lap of fools. In other words, the fool is already there with bitterness and anger. A fool is someone who hangs on to anger and doesn't deal with it. And bitterness makes us act like fools. We make poor decisions. Uh, for example, when I was a kid, I, I used to have a bad temper. I know you look at me now and say, well, that couldn't be you. Oh, yes, it was. Bad temper. And I would get mad. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. We've been mad for a long time. Now we just start, sit there and cry now. Or, or you, when I came along, the video games were just coming out. Sega, Nintendo. Some of you are like, Sega? What's Sega? Uh, exactly. But all these games were coming. I remember you lose at the game. I get so mad, you know, you just throw your controller down, right? Bust it. Guess who had to pay for it? So I had to take the little money I had left and go buy me a new controller because I, I would get mad. I, was, I would break things. But the problem was I was breaking my own stuff. I know you, you, I, you laugh. I can hear those laughter. That's laughter of identification right there. I mean, you probably did the same thing. You get mad and you break your own thing. Like, oh, I get so mad. And you throw your flashlight down, bust it in a million pieces. And you're like, man, that was my best flashlight. Why did I do that? And you feel stupid afterwards. I was like, man, my stupid decisions is costing me a lot of money. And I wasn't hurting other people. I was just hurting my own stuff, which was stupid. That's what I'm saying. Anger makes you do stupid things. Your bitterness, your anger will make you do things you never thought you would do. In anger, we say stupid things which hurt others and make us look stupid. And my friends, that's what's so sad. When we get angry, we say things that we wish we never said. The problem is once it comes out, you can't put it back in. I've said a lot of hurtful things over the years. To my wife, to my children, I've said things I, I wish I didn't say that. And I think every one of us can agree with that. We've all done it. 
And that's because of bitterness and anger. Number three, bitterness will cause you to switch sides. Now, this is the story of Ahithophel. Now, who is Ahithophel? Look at verse 12. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor. Ahithophel. Who in the world's Ahithophel? I mean, what does that got to do with anything in 2020 with COVID? Ahithophel. Who in the world's Ahithophel? There's not much known about Ahithophel. We know that he's one of David's counselors. We know that when David hears that Ahithophel switched sides, David is extremely worried. He said, because there was no one wiser than Ahithophel. If Ahithophel has switched sides, David felt like his life was in trouble because Ahithophel knew how to get him. Ahithophel was a smart cookie. That's what we say in the South. I don't know what you say in California, but in the South we call you a smart cookie. Oreo cookie or something, I don't know. But bitterness will cause you to switch sides like Ahithophel. Now, so who is this Ahithophel? He was a trusted advisor. You know, you ever read the Bible and you get to those begets? So-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so. You don't really read it. You just skip it, don't you? Most of us probably just run over it. Well, this is one of those important times that we have to pay attention to these begets because this is where the story gets interesting. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 34, it's given a list of David's mighty men. And if you ever want to read some of the coolest passage in the whole Bible, read uh, David's mighty men in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And we come to a part in there, it talks about that Eliam, one of David's mighty men, was the son of Ahithophel. Okay, what does that mean? Well, one of David's mighty men was Eliam. He was a great warrior. And his father was Ahithophel. And Ahithophel would help David. But the next thing that we need to understand is it comes earlier now. It comes in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is one of the saddest chapters in David's life. I think if David could go back, he wished he could just erase chapter, uh, chapter 11 in 2 Samuel. And because on that night, David goes down to his balcony, he sees a pretty woman. And he inquires about that pretty woman down there. Who's that pretty woman? And said, oh, that is, uh, her name is Bathsheba. Her father is Eliam and her husband's Uriah. He said, I like her, go get her. And he would commit adultery with her. Bathsheba is Ohithophel's granddaughter. All right, so Ahithophel had Eliam, Eliam had Bathsheba. So this is Bathsheba's grandfather is Ahithophel. So this is, you might say something like David's family here too. Ahithophel switched because of what David did to his granddaughter and by killing Bathsheba's husband and then trying to cover it all up. And because of that, he was extremely angry with David. He was mad. And he was looking at a time that he could strike back at David for what he did to David's own family. And so Ahithophel is more concerned with his resentment over David than following God. Ahithophel loved, claimed he loved God. But what he loved more was his anger against David more than God. And when you're a bitter person, that's what you do. You switch sides. You focus on your own 
self, your own hate for something, your own resentment, your own bitterness, more than what God says. And God's already told us what to do. He said, forgive one another. But we don't want to forgive one another. We rather hang on to our bitterness and our anger. That's what the story of Ahithophel was. God tells us to forgive one another, but we don't want to do it. And we allow anger and bitterness in our life, and it focus, makes us focus on ourselves and not on God. We replace God with ourselves. We're more concerned about what, how we feel more than what God says. That's what anger does. It makes you switch places. Makes you switch sides. Instead of worshiping God, you worship yourself. I'm going to take care of my own needs. I'm going to do what I think what's right. Instead of listening to God. You're saying, God, I know better. See, a person cannot hold on to anger toward an individual and also forgive that individual. You can't say, well, I hate your guts, but I'm going to forgive you. You can't do that as a believer. We have to forgive. If you cannot forgive someone, then you're unable to do what God has commanded you. This is what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 32. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander. Think about those words. Let me read those words again. Listen to these words. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. You can talk about 2020 today, can't you? Those words describe the world that we live in, especially in a political year. How we slander one another. How we hate one another. Think of all the rage and the destruction that's going on in our country. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service. Or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org slash live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.